0: From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle.
1: Welcome to Total SF and welcome back to Independent Bookstore Tribute Month to my wife, librarian Kelly Hartlob. Welcome back to our living room.
0: Oh, thank you. Our living room slash your office space slash seventh grade classroom
1: seventh grade classroom I am now sharing the desk with my son I gotta say from the seventh grader from you from me a lot of excitement in our household about the next guest on Total SF beloved author and graphic novelist Raina Telgemeier
0: oh my god I was so I'm I'm (laughs) starstruck by Raina Telgemeier she is one of my all-time favorites
1: Yeah, she's a superstar. Um, Her fifth original graphic novel, Guts, came out last year about her middle school battles with anxiety and panic attacks. And it was like the best-selling book in the nation. Not best-selling kids' book, not best-selling graphic novel, best-selling book, and Stephen King and Malcolm Gladwell had books out that same (laughs) month. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, she is absolutely gigantic. Um, But this is extra special because she's not on a book tour. So we really got to talk about the Bay Area. We talk about her first bookstore where she fell in love with reading. Not what I was expecting. You'll have to listen. Uh, She talks about how she's worked the Bay Area's landmarks and even the weather into her books. And we talk a lot about indie bookstores, specifically Green Apple Books on Clement in San Francisco, where she still signs books for mail order.
0: Wait. What? Yeah. How how can she, I mean, that's a lot of books.
1: Yeah. She's sold, I I think around 20 million books like (laughs) worldwide. Now, not all of them have gone out of Green Apple books, but a huge number and she'll still sign a book. It's on her website. If you want a signed book, get it out of Green Apple. Green Apple will mail it anywhere for 99 cents. And she actually even sent me a photo later. Um, It's like a little school, like, classroom desk oh yeah and, and she's sitting there with just this gigantic pile of books we,
0: we need one of those desks for our seventh grade classroom <laughs> yes i think her next book might be about a main character who develops carpal tunnel syndrome yes
1: i think she should take a little time before her next book <laughs> um i think like a few years between books because she's earned it she works really hard i've seen her at a middle school event and she talks about it in the podcast that imagine being like at a at a rock concert and performing and then when you're done meeting every single person at the concert, yeah. that's what she does. <laughs> Energy is up. Um, our son kind of walks into the podcast, he was invited. But uh, And you get a taste of that in this podcast She's just wonderful Um, I really love this interview I can't wait for you to hear it You haven't heard it yet And I can't wait for all of our Total SF listeners To hear it And support independent bookstores And I think she really gets that message across
0: Can't wait to hear it
1: Raina Telgemeier coming up I'm Peter Hartlob and this is Total SF Thank you very much Welcome to Total SF, Raina Telgemeier, and I am so excited to have you on my podcast. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Peter. It's nice to be on your podcast.
1: Yeah, this is not gonna be a podcast that's heavy on dire current events, but I wanted to just ask you, how are you doing?
0: Um, Doing okay. I I think I may have been well-suited to a pandemic a long time ago, only because I work from home and I'm an introvert. And the the part of my career that doesn't mesh well with this is the fact that I travel tons to go to like schools and libraries and bookstores all over the country and all over the world. And that's the part of my schedule that got wiped out. But it's given me a great chance to kind of refocus on, you know, how much I enjoy being alone. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, it's I wouldn't say it's nice because this is not exactly like taking a staycation but it's not the worst either. I'm, I'm finding ways to, to enjoy myself pretty much every day.
1: Yeah, and you were coming off book tour. So I'm wondering, yeah. um, is this a time to relax? And do you do that by reading?
0: I I was doing a lot of reading while I was traveling. So, you know, like listening to audio books in the car and reading on airplanes and stuff. And so now it's more like I have to find the time to read, even though there's more free time um I'm finding it's my favorite way to wind down at the end of the night, and to you know wake up in the morning sometimes.
1: I, I just assume you're reading graphic novels too, but maybe you're reading historical nonfiction, and that's all, and <laughs> I don't know it. Do you tend to read a variety, or, or are you um, you know reading YA stuff while you're not writing?
0: All of the above. I I do love comics and graphic novels, but. It seems that when left my own devices, I listened to people's memoirs and I listen to a lot of nonfiction that has to do with like social psychology and like <laughs> the internal state. And I don't know if it's because I just came off of writing a book about those subjects and about anxiety that now I'm still sort of in like study mode or, or to be honest, like now people want to talk to me more about things like anxiety because I wrote a book about it.
1: And that's so your book I've,
0: guts. That's your my most bu- guts, book guts. Yeah, yeah, which is about my my childhood and having a panic disorder, and then sort of living with that for the rest of my life. And uh, yeah, so 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 people now want to talk to me about it. So I'm like, uh oh, I'd better read a lot <laughs> and study, so I sound like I know what I'm talking about instead of just relaying my own experiences. But I just listened to um, a book called The Deepest Well mm-hmm. on audio, and the author of that is Nadine Burke Harris who helped to establish the Center for Youth Wellness in Hunters Point um, and they studied childhood adversity very uh, carefully over the course of many years there and learned a lot about how you know where you grow up and what your your life is like and whether you're in a great neighborhood versus a neighborhood that has you know shootings on the street like how how much those things are going to contribute to you being traumatized or your susceptibility to illness when you're older and I think this is just something I've been interested in a long time but the book was recommended to me and I not only did I feel like she just beautifully addressed this subject and has been interested in it for so long but she's just a really cool person Mm -hmm. so I felt like we were buds afterwards and then I and then I learned that she was uh elected to be California's Surgeon General so she's my favorite person. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so so I really enjoyed that. And um, I'm also listening to Becoming right now by Michelle Obama. And I feel uh-huh. like it's the same thing where I'm like, we are definitely best friends right now. <laughs> and it's, it's like nice to go back in time to when we were all feeling like politics is an awesome place. And we're all feeling so hopeful. And we're all so optimistic <laughs> about things. And uh, I don't want to dive into politics too heavily right now. But there's like a little tear running down my cheek oh, as I yeah. listen to it. <laughs> no,
1: I mean her her DNC speech was so great. And have you listened to her podcast? The I have, yeah. Yeah, uh, the first one with Barack Obama just was just like <laughs> bomb for my soul in 2020.
0: <laughs> they're just yeah. they're the cutest, basically. And I and I I don't know. I just respect and admire them so much. But um, I have been reading a lot of comics. I'm not reading novels for some reason, but I'm reading graphic novels. And I've been working my way through the Strangers in Paradise series by mm-hmm. Terry Moore, which came out in like the 90s, which was around the time that I started getting into independent comics. But for whatever reason, I never read Strangers in Paradise. Maybe because it's, it's definitely an older skewing series. And I've always gravitated towards the young stuff and towards the YA audience material. But I'm loving it. It's so... it's so comprehensive it just it just dives into like relationships and also murder but I (laughs) I I read the murder parts quickly and then come back to just like the friendship and have you have you read Strangers in Paradise I I have
1: not um, so much of my uh, comic book reading I read right up until about 87 88 and then Mm -hmm. stopped for for dumb reasons I mean you know social reasons I, I liked it I just my social circle wasn't doing it so um, late in high school, I stopped reading them and, and started again in the 90s, uh, late 90s, and just everything since then. I'm going into comic book shops and finding all this stuff I missed. Yeah. So I will add that to my list. And I'm starting <laughs> to read new stuff, too. I, I just read – this is uh, – sorry, I'm holding it up, but the Satchel page. Oh, that's one of is, my
0: dad's favorites.
1: Oh, it is so fantastic. I put it on, like, my top five ever Um so I've been reading some new ones, but that's kind of new. I, I do a lot of catching up on the stuff that I missed when I wasn't reading comics.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I also, I also just read a book called Duran Duran, Imelda Marcos, and me. Uh-huh. Which is by Lorena Mappa, and it's it's a memoir about her childhood growing up in the Philippines during the People Power Revolution. Is
1: it and is it graphic novel? Yes, it oh, is. Oh wow, I'm in. It's
0: really cool.
1: Just the title, you had me at Durant I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's like if you're our age and you remember those days. So it's yeah, I really like that one too. Um, and then I the last the I'm I'm not done with it yet, so I'll, I'll put it last on my list. But I'm reading a a YA graphic novel called Beetle and the Hollow Bones by oh. Elisa Lane. And it's like the perfect Halloween-y, witchy, goblin-y, like adorable, uh, learning how to do stuff, coming of age graphic novel. I I'm think it, loving it's,
1: it. It's so important living in the Bay Area, and I think people outside of the Bay Area don't understand this, but there's there's very subtle shifts in um, the weather, and the mm-hmm. atmosphere, And those are, even those are changing. They're different than when I was a kid. So to get into Halloween, I feel like I have to like put wrap lights around something, you know, and (laughs) and get the jack-o'-lantern. Otherwise it's just, it didn't happen. You know, you can just miss it entirely.
0: It's very subtle, I know. And I I grew up here too. And so I always associated Halloween, which with like summer weather, Mm -hmm. because this is usually the sunniest time of the year in this area and everything leading up to Halloween is like fog and cold and wind and just like mist in your face. Like that's the summer vibe. And then Halloween is like when you put your sunglasses on. (laughs) Um, And, and yeah, so it's, it's different here. We don't get the, the fall leaves. We don't get that change of the seasons, but I've, I feel like I'm pretty attuned to like what position the sun is in the sky and what time the sun is going down. And so as soon as it starts to get early or dark early, I'm like, oh, Halloween is coming. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, it's, um, and the, the book that I wrote that sort of makes or takes the most advantage of that is my book, Ghosts, which takes place in sort of a fictionalized Half Moon Bay.
1: I felt it was like Half Moon Bay, Bodega Bay, and Monterey. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Santa Cruz. Yeah. It's it's just like I just mushed all of the towns that are uh, <laughs> on the on that part of the coast together and, and came up with a fictionalized one where ghosts absolutely exist. I,
1: I appreciate that um, your characters wear layers even when it's summer, which uh, I think yeah. I think your readers who are like on the East Coast must <laughs> wonder what's going on that there are no seasons in your books but I'm like no that's what
0: it's like my uh, editor who's a new yorker like long time new yorker he was like you know and smile which takes place over the course of 5 years of my childhood he was like we don't really understand how the passage of time works in this book and it doesn't seem <laughs> like anything ever changes or you're getting older I'm like yeah welcome to san francisco thank you yeah. so <laughs> you're absolutely right it's it, there's always a jacket yeah. and a hoodie <laughs>
1: So you you grew up um, uh, Park Merced or -hmm. or near Park Merced. Um, Yep. Do you remember what like your first experience was just getting into reading? Was there a moment where you suddenly decided that you like reading and do you remember it?
0: Uh, I remember bits and pieces of it. I mean, my my parents are both book people and writers and teachers. And so they, they had tons of books in the house and we were... My brother and sister and I were all, you know, red from the time we were infants. And I remember watching cartoons, which I also did a ton of. And at the end of the cartoon, they would show like a couple of credit cards. That's uh, that's not, what's, what what are they called? (laughs) Title cards? Like,
1: yeah. yeah. (laughs) With the
0: credits on them, you know? (laughs) It's a card, but it's not called a credit card. and and looking at, you know, what would have been people's names and their credits and me thinking, someday I'm going to know what that says. I can't wait till I can I can decipher all of those mysterious shapes, um, you know, and like I was a big Sesame Street fan. So I think I think just like understanding words and, and and reading came gradually. But then I do recall being in kindergarten and learning to read a book, which was obviously meant for a five year old to read and just feeling like, all right, I got the world in my hands now. This is great. Um, and then, you know, I, I have my diaries still from when I was in first grade and, and some of like my spelling tests and stuff. And I, I was already thinking at age six about the ways that people speak Mm -hmm. and trying to capture like accents and cadence in my like earliest childhood writing. It's really, really fun to look back and see that. Um, and I remember going to bookstores with my parents and it was something we did. And the first bookstore that I had a relationship with was the student bookstore at San Francisco State University. Oh, that's
1: awesome. Yeah, <laughs> because I mean, it's my right dad there. was a
0: professor there and it was <laughs> yeah, it was like four blocks from my house. And so he would like pick me up after school and my bus stop was on the campus and he'd be like you want to go to the bookstore and we just walk over to the student union and then pop in. And I don't I haven't been there in a while so I don't know if the architecture is still the same, but it had these big like uh <laughs> concrete beams and like all these weird angles that that ran through it and like just big picture windows. The light would just stream in in the afternoons and we would just spend hours. And it was just like you go look at your stuff, I go look at my stuff, do you want something? I'll buy it for you. And He noticed that when I turned nine or ten, I started reading comic strips in the newspaper and Uh fell in love with them. So we were we were at SFSU and he like appeared from behind a bookshelf and was like, hey, Raina, I got something to show you. And he pulled out the first um, collection of Calvin and Hobbes comic strips. And he was like, check it out. And I was like, there's a book of Calvin and Hobbes. Are you kidding me? And that was it. Like that just that that was the beginning of that story and nothing has changed <laughs> i'm still I was gonna going ask, to bookstores and buying comics
1: <laughs> i was gonna ask what kind of children's literature or section did the s uh sf bookstore have
0: they had but it had kelvin and hobbes so yeah that i i mean those books used to be in like the humor section yeah of bookstores but um yeah, no, they had a they had a a pretty decent children's section and I I remember buying, you know, my Beverly Cleary books and my Trudy Bloom books, my Super Fudge and everything that I was into prior to getting into comics. Um I don't remember too well where like picture books ended and chapter books began. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if I was like excited by that or disappointed by that I just know that when I found comics I was like this is the perfect combination of the things that I love I love I love artwork I love pictures I love drawing and I love stories and I love the way that people speak and so in comics it's like all of the dialogue is coming right out of their mouths and word balloons and I don't know it just it just struck such a deep chord for me um I I never turned back
1: do you remember the first ones that grabbed you Calvin and Hobbes yes surely um, I'm hoping you were reading these in the Chronicle but if it was the I Examiner was or...
0: <laughs> no we don't don't tell anybody but we didn't subscribe to the Examiner when I was growing up we were a Chronicle family oh that's okay I know <laughs> that's okay I
1: worked for, I worked for the Examiner for a year so I still but uh, if they I delivered... were still
0: around I'd feel bad saying that but since they're not we can. Yeah,
1: I, I delivered both
0: <laughs> um, aww
1: yeah um, so what what were the ones that kind of grabbed you do you remember
0: I do. I loved Luann by Greg Evans. It's just like middle school soap opera. And I I loved Fred Bassett for some reason. It was just like <laughs> a guy and his uh, his dog. And then for better or for worse was the one that just took it all. And and I just I fell in love very quickly. The kids in that strip were my age, so it was like, how does she know what's going on inside of my head? How is she so attuned to the way that people think? and feel, and talk, and their relationships, and I mean, talk about a soap opera, that strip went on for 29 years, and you got to grow up with those characters, because they aged in real time. It's, it's interesting to think about how comic strips have, or had, rules, but one of them was that you just, like, never changed clothing, so the character always had to wear the same thing, so, like, Dennis the Menace, always gonna be in overalls, yeah. and when I started making comics later, And when my comics were still in black and white, because for a long time they were, people were like, I can't really tell who's who. They change clothes all the time. And (laughs) so, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to, to learn like what people's eyes gravitate towards and whether they really pay attention to like the character designs. If they're not pushed so far as like the way peanuts characters were, where Charlie Brown is bald and Mm -hmm. Linus has that hair on his head that looks like sticks and he's wearing a striped shirt and Lucy has dark hair. Um, my character designs have always been a little more subtle and realistic. And I do take that away from for better or for worse, too, that that style of drawing. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I think I think now I pay more attention to that sort of thing and try to push my character designs in different directions. But yeah, it was, it was something to learn for sure. Did you
1: feel like you could be part of that world? I mean, was that what you wanted to do is make a strip? Or did you feel like what you wanted to do and what you were good at and what you could do could be a career?
0: I tried. I tried to emulate what I liked and it never really worked for me. Like writing punchlines was difficult and knowing that you had to come up with a punchline every single day of the year and that there were no breaks and that you had to be working, what is it, like six weeks or six months. or so You're way, way, way ahead of schedule. So it's hard to be timely. And I think now, like, the way that people work on comic strips, a lot of them are, you know, being published online instead of in papers. So the way the syndicate happens, it's it's very possible that things are happening a little bit tighter now. So you can kind of keep up with current events better. But yeah, I, I tried it and tried to, like, show my classmates and my family the comic strips I was writing, and I never got a laugh out of anybody. They were always like, haha, that's nice. That's cute. That's funny. When someone says that's funny, but it's not the same as a person actually laughing (laughs) at a joke. So (laughs) I had a lot of had a lot of those like sort of lukewarm responses. And so I was like, I'll never be a cartoonist. This is terrible. Um, And the only other option that I knew of was to draw superheroes. And I didn't, I didn't really get into reading superheroes for whatever reason. I didn't start going to comic book shops until I was in my twenties. So mm. what I what I knew was comic strips and then started reading a little bit more Indian alternative stuff when I was a little bit older and started to see like the different formats that were available and the different types of publishers that were out there. And I think the label over all of that was just indie comics. Mm. So I thought, okay, I can be an indie cartoonist, whatever that means. I'll I'll sort of just figure it out. And after college, most of what I did was to draw, like, short story comic book pages. Mm -hmm. And then I published them as mini-comics. I was just Xeroxing everything. But I was able to sell them at local stores. Like, Comic Relief had a little box with my name on it (laughs) that was like, here's the little tiny Raina Telgemeier section. And I remember seeing that. This would have been in, like... 2003 or something and I was like I know that I've made it because I have a little box at comic, Ex- comic <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um but yeah so so really bookstores um were where I got most of my bearings when I was young
1: what uh what bookstores were near you and what comic book shops what was kind of your first comic book shop because I had a similar experience I I had the comic book rack and then a couple of random stores would have them I didn't go to a comic book shop till i was like 16 and it was in san carlos i had to get on (laughs) my 10 speed i lived in burlingame uh, right on the san mateo border but i had to get on my 10 speed and ride like you know six miles what
0: was the store Uh, called
1: i don't know the name i've mentioned it to other comic books people and they blow it blows their mind because the guy is apparently kind of famous his name's tibur He was a he he rode around in a dune buggy and had it it was one of the old school comic book shops where, I mean, everything was in boxes and a little bit of a mildewy smell and everything, which is not the way most (laughs) of them are now. I mean, it was kind of this old school thing. But I I still don't to this day know what it was called. I'm sure it was something nondescript.
0: I, I, Peter, you're an archivist. I feel like you should have <laughs> access to... Okay, new project. This is what um, I'm going to do. I'm going to find out the name. <laughs> okay. And
1: then when I record the intro of this, um, I will have the name.
0: Awesome. <laughs> I Because I used to go to Lee's um, in San uh-huh. Mateo. Sure. That was, that was where I bought all my bone trades. And I I mean, I went to like Amazing Fantasy on Irving Street. And that was right next to Black Oak Books which was one of the stores that my dad and I both loved to frequent because they had so much used book stuff. And it's not there anymore. It's such a shame. It was such a great location and it was such a nice welcoming space, but I feel like, you know, we've we've had a lovely proliferation of indie bookstores in the Bay Area in the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Ones that have been around for a long time have been joined by newer ones, and so it's just I don't know. I feel like we're living in sort of a cool golden age, but pandemic is making that weird and hard um (laughs) but i mean i also spent time at like walden books and b dalton at that like there was a what's that little shopping plaza that's below saramonte but it's not saramonte it's like across the street i
1: I know what you're talking talking about about.
0: yeah there was a there was a walden books in there that we spent a lot of time at
1: what was the stonestowns bookstore it had to be one of the they had to have one the kind of the little airport airport sized bookstores they used to have yeah. in every mall i i don't remember hillsdale i think it was b dalton
0: would, uh, yeah i've been to that one it's weird i i like i can only think of the um the borders that was in Stonestown. yeah did they have a bookstore okay more more archive work were weird <laughs> the jobs there's a good. lot of work to do
1: <laughs> um, what what about what about as you're ascending and um you know the stories I've written about it, and you started with um, uh, Smile, correct? Mm -hmm. And then um, that was a hit. And and While this is going on and you're getting just more and more traction, how did indie bookstores and the comic book shops fit into that? Because I feel like what you do has a sensibility that's really great for them. It's like almost like the symbiotic thing that your books sell really well. Every time I go in one, there's a whole shelf. And yet what you do feels like to me what I went to a comic book store for. Yeah. Um, There's something more personal about it. And I'm I'm curious what those places meant to you as your career was was ascending.
0: Well, I, I did what you're not supposed to do when you're a native San Franciscan, which is that I left and uh-huh. I went to, I went to school in New York and then stayed in New York for a total of 16 years. So my first experiences with comic stores were mostly in New York city and in some of the surrounding areas. But I, I've developed a pretty good relationship with comic book stores because um, they often were the ones that were running like the independent comics festivals So Hmm. like there's a store in Portland, Maine called Casablanca Comics and the owner there like has a festival every year and he invites a bunch of cartoonists to come and exhibit and we get to meet the folks of Portland, Maine. And so um, I developed a lot of relationships with stores through events like those. And then when a book would come out, they'd say, oh, this is great. Like come back to Portland and we'll host you and we'll, you know, have a book signing for you and it'll be so great. Um, and before bookstores had really kind of clued into this graphic novel movement that was happening in the mid odds, the comic stores were there for me. Mm -hmm. So I, I was still like, in some cases selling my mini comics through them. And then they were carrying like the babysitters club books that I was working (laughs) on. And, you know, I, there were times for sure when I would do a signing and like two people would show up because Uh. it just, this, this thing, whatever it is that you want to call it, this movement um, the popularity of graphic novels for kids just had not taken hold yet. Yeah. It took it took a while before bookstores were willing to host me. I don't want to say willing. That's the wrong word. But before, you know, I would do a bookstore event where people would actually show up. And it wasn't until After Smile was published in 2010 and then Sisters in 2014 and Drama in 2012. Like, that was when Scholastic started to put me out onto book tours and in every case they were working with indie bookstores. So, all over the country, I was being hosted by indies and then like my relationship with those people started to grow. And it's it's really always felt like it's the people, you know, mm-hmm. the the people that own the stores and then their patrons who they know so so well. And I mean, one of my very first like big events was at a store called Kids Books in Vancouver mm-hmm. and they Just they know like every single kid who lives in Vancouver and every parent (laughs) to those kids. And so they were like, you haven't heard of this book yet, but this is what it's about. This is why you're going to like it. This is why you you should invite your friends. And, you know, I hadn't I hadn't had a lot of experiences with with big events. This is in 2011. And I showed up for the event and there were people waiting outside to get in and they went all the way around the block. I think like a Star Wars film. Basically, I think they said it was like 125 people and it just, it was like completely unprecedented, but they had also designed like a huge window display and they just, they just pulled out every stop and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it means to be an author and to have kids waiting to meet you who have photographs of like their birthday cake that they had this year where it's like (laughs) the cover of Smile is on their cake and I do I still have that picture behind me? I don't know if I do, but it's it's been in my house for a long time because I it's like such a, a treasure. Um, yeah, and since then it's grown, and and now I can't even do events in the stores. We have to we have to find venues uh, in town. Uh, junior
1: high, I went to once and saw you at. It was uh, it was like a <laughs> concert.
0: <laughs> it was like a concert, except I don't sing on stage. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's a concert where then you. Um, he spent two or three hours afterwards beating and greeting with every person in the audience.
1: So speaking of which, this is going to be a really bad segue, the worst segue <laughs> of this podcast. Milo, come here. Can my son say hi really quick? He is such a super fan.
0: Hello, hi. Hey, Milo. How's it going? Great. How are you? I'm oh. doing well. Thank you. How's, oh, nice. how's your How's your shelter in place going so far? Uh, it's going pretty good. School is a little bit hard, but... A little hard? Yeah, yeah it's a little yeah. hard for me, too. Yeah, it's really nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you too. Oh, and you've got braces too. Oh yeah, I got them uh, recently. Did you? Yeah. How do mm-hmm. they feel? All right, anyway, I would, I would probably be a lot less confident if I hadn't read this. But oh, <laughs> hey, that smile yeah. that you just happen yeah. to have right there in front yeah, of you—how convenient!
1: Exactly. I have. I, we have actually, we have all your books.
0: Yeah. So. I think that's oh man, you guys <laughs> are the best. All right. Well, it was really nice to meet you. Nice Bye. to meet you, too. Maybe at some point I'll meet you in person. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, after this <laughs> is all over. Exactly. Yeah, all right. Bye. Bye, Milo. Thanks, Bye. bud. Bye, Appreciate it. No problem.
1: We'll be right back after this short break. With what's going on now, I mean, I'm sure you saw some of these stores and shops over and over year after year, or, you know, whether as a patron or someone who's, who's visiting, has a relationship as an author. How much are you thinking about them right now and, and, you know, the survival of these independent bookstores and comic book shops and and their future?
0: Uh, It's constant. It's like, these are the people that I'm friends with now on Facebook and I follow on Twitter. And so I do get to see their personal thoughts and feelings as the pandemic has unfolded. And so anytime I do a podcast or an online event or anything. I try to tie it in with a store somehow just Mm -hmm. to be able to say like, Hey, if you, if you enjoyed this panel, like go get some books and here's a great place to get them from. So yeah, I mean, there, there are so many stores. I wish I could do an event with and for every store, but you know, I still, I still am able to work with Scholastic to make some of that happen. And I still do have, of course, my indie store here in San Francisco that I work with. So I, you can still get signed copies even during a pandemic.
1: So I think that's amazing because I, you know, any bookstore I go to now, your book is everywhere. Um, I, I don't know what the sales figures are. I will research that too. But the last time I wrote a story, I found them and they were incredible. And yet Green Apple Books, anybody who wants to order a book there can get a signed copy um, and that's been going on for how long? How did that relationship start?
0: Um, I had been a customer of theirs probably starting in high school. Mm. Um, I had a, a boyfriend who lived in the Avenues, so when we were teenagers, we used to just like bum around on Clement Street, and so just like many hours passed in the stacks at the bookstore, and like then a lot
1: of toy boat, a lot oh, of toy uh, green
0: boat. R.I.P. I'm so no, it's sad. Back. It's oh, back. It? I got good news for you. Oh my gosh. Is that
1: it, it's got a new owner. It's oh. Toy Boat by Jane, but it's Jane the Bakery who's a local. I love Jane the
0: Bakery. She
1: bought Toy Boat.
0: I am so San Francisco happy right now. This is little awesome.
1: A little less clutter. I, I loved the I think it was the Fink family, but it's a little uh-huh. cleaner now and it's open and they're serving. You're gonna get to go back to Toy Boat next oh time you go goodness. sign six thousand books at, at Green Apple.
0: This is so <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Okay, great. Well, my day's my day's made.
1: Let's describe Green Apple to people because <laughs> yes, please. I it was uh, let's do it together. I I lived um when I came back to San Francisco in 99, I lived 3 blocks from there. I stayed with my aunt before I got a place um and working for the Examiner and then later the Chronicle, but Green Apple became, I mean, just my second home. I probably went 3 times a week. <laughs> and I think it's a really unique store and it's special in that I still couldn't draw a map of it for you right Um, it's sort of a labyrinth like bookstore it may be the biggest bookstore um you know I don't know city lights is bigger there's a lot of
0: square feet I mean it's kind of like the Winchester mystery house of bookstores there's there's (laughs) not like two distinct levels it's kind of like four and a half levels there's mezzanines and there's creaky stairwells and there's like scary hidden bathrooms and stuff it's amazing and it just it it just feels like a place of discovery. Like you think you know what you're getting when you walk into a bookstore if you're if you've only ever been to something like Barnes and Noble. No. Disservice to Barnes and Noble. I love Barnes and Noble, but when you walk into Green Apple, you're just like, What is this magical mystery place? <laughs>
1: So many bookstores now and and I don't blame them. I love them. I have one locally. I love Books Inc. and Alameda, but they're like kind of got the open floor plan, like the open kitchen, like everybody's Mm -hmm. got the open kitchen now and it's open floor plan and everybody can see each other and you can fit, you know, 150 people in maybe for a book talk. Green Apple, uh, Heather Knight and I were going to do something there. And we're like, oh, you know, how many hundred? They're like, no, like 25. You have the the biggest bookstore. But it's because it's, as you said, kind of just this place of discovery. It is. And you were going there as a team.
0: I was. And then I did an event with them right after Smile came out. I was just doing like my own (laughs) little book tours and it was great, like you said, I think about twenty people fit into their event space, and it was like all my high school friends and so i, I there's there's not even a place to put up like a screen to show slides, so I just like brought my laptop <laughs> <laughs> like here you guys, thanks for coming um it was it was adorable, and then I did another event with them in two thousand and twelve with a couple of other graphic novelists that we were it was an official scholastic event, so they just they've just been with me for quite some time. And then uh, when I moved back to San Francisco in 2015, I had been working with a store in Queens, which is where I lived. It was the Astoria Bookshop. Mm-hmm. And they moved into Astoria uh, just a couple of years before I moved away. And it was, it was just like, oh, hey, my neighborhood has a bookstore. Cool. And so <laughs> I can like be their, one of their local authors. This is great. So I used to do sign stock with them. And it was like a one and a half person operation for the first several years. So I just had a great relationship with the bookseller there. And then when I moved back to California, I was like, okay, I need a new one. Who's it going to be? And me and the rep at Scholastic, like it wasn't even a conversation. We were like, it's Green Apple. <laughs> and they, I, I, I had an apartment not too far away. So it was easy for me to just pop by. And it just, you know, it just became like my second living room. And this was right before... Ghosts was published. It was between Sisters and Ghosts. And so I don't know. I they started selling my books online, signed, and I started doing like big promotions at Christmas time where we'd say, Hey, if you want a signed book personalized and drawn in, you know, this is where you can get it. And they (laughs) I don't know if this is a good business model or not, but they will (laughs) ship anywhere in the country for 99 cents to this day. Yeah. So so that's awesome. <laughs> right. Like that's that's a great incentive for somebody who lives in New Hampshire to want to buy a signed copy of a book. So we got just like slammed with requests. And that's not a bad thing. You
1: you say it's not a bad thing, but um, how how many <laughs> how many thousands of books is it? At this Hundreds? point,
0: I mean, at this point, it's been multiple dozens of thousands, probably. But... How do you do that? Is there a truck Ugh. involved? what <laughs> No just really strong backed booksellers um in small rooms always no they yeah. they have one of their one of their rooms has this little like school desk in it actually it's the philosophy room so they would they would just like bring me upstairs to the philosophy room and put me in this little school desk and then just like drop stacks in front of me I'd sign them they'd pick them up and move them um, I have photographs that that have shown how delightful this process is it's always a lot of fun. Um yeah and they've they've hosted several of my book launches here in the city and uh, yeah it's it's they're they're indispensable and they're just they're such a part of like San Francisco fabric and just everybody who works there is lovely and interesting
1: and they're super scrappy i mean yeah. what i've been noticing is like i think the bookstores that survive if they can make it through they're going to have tools now and I, that, you know, there, I'm seeing so much more social media and so many more innovative things that people are kind of learning on the fly. The other thing is, is that I think, and I want to get this across with these podcasts and I've been saying it in every one, that people need to know they can pre-order at an in independent bookstore. Yeah. I think there's this mentality that you can only pre-order on a certain website and, you can go to your local indie bookstore and make that the place that you do all of your pre-orders and I have had wonderful experiences mine is Books Inc but I, I do go out to um, you know Flying Colors Comics and I go to Green Apple when I can and, and these places like can do a lot of the things that m- maybe some of them couldn't have done five or ten years ago but they're getting scrappy
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah that, that was a statement I didn't have a question <laughs>
0: <laughs> like yep that's true <laughs> it's it's one of those bookstores that has like a sales bin out front and a big rack of books and a big green awning out front and so it just it's just like if you're there you can't help but stop you can't help but be drawn to it and gravitate toward it and I've seen like non-book people so many times be like ooh, what's this place it just and they're open late too so they're <laughs> you know they're like they're like good for date night and they're <laughs> good for I, I, I mean, people just like bring their kids in on a Saturday afternoon just for something to do. And I, I feel like this bookstore exemplifies what it means to be a pillar of your community because they get to know their customers. They get to know the authors that live nearby. And I mean, I will pass by other famous local authors when I'm there. just They're just shopping. And you're just like, oh, hey, Lemony Snicket. How's it going? <laughs> Hey Wendy McNaughton, how are you? Like it's it's awesome, and so I don't know. I think I think when you grow up with something like that in your neighborhood, you're you're never not going to want to go there when you visit home, or you know, to take your own kids there. And uh, long live Green Apple Books. I, I hope yeah. they never leave. And long, that's long
1: live Green Apple.
0: The 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 likelihood of that, even during these struggling times, seems possibly like it could work out because they've got now two satellite locations
1: mm-hmm.
0: um they opened books on the park right around the corner from where black oak books used to be so i'm like okay finally like my <laughs> my sunset district bookstore is back um and i i love that neighborhood dude that's probably my favorite neighborhood in all of san francisco It's like the ninth and irving corridor so get my books get my ice cream get my crepe vine get on the get on the the train and you know Golden Gate Park is right there it just ah ah <laughs> it's lovely, lovely go to the aquarium afterwards i don't know i'm i'm a nerd for san francisco so it's it's all just it's the best
1: i've been biking more and that's opened up the city for me um, nice. just di- di- discovering all these neighborhoods Um, Well, yeah, I hope people adopt a bookstore. Um, Adopt one near you. You know, if there's a bookstore near you, even in the pandemic, a lot of them are doing curbside service. Some of them you can go in now if you're comfortable with that. But um, I hope people use this time to adopt an independent bookstore. And if not, go to Green Apple. It's worth the trip. (laughs) Destination bookstores. There should be destination bookstores like destination restaurants.
0: And if you don't live here, you can go to their website and they will ship you anything for 99 cents.
1: Signed find yeah. reina telgemeier yeah
0: that's a um, true too yeah
1: just one more question you've been very generous with your time um i wanted to just ask you about the bay area and the sense of place in your work and it's kind of a bookend because we started with that but mm-hmm. um i i love that in smile just in the middle of smile loma prieta happens <laughs> <laughs> and, it does, and, and I'm sure, like anybody who doesn't live in the Bay Area, I, I'm sure you've had questions about that. You know, did that really happen? Oh, yeah, it happened if you lived here. Um, but Sutro, you'll 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 just you know flipping through the book, and there's a panel with Sutro Tower <laughs> in there. And I just wanted to ask you about the Bay Area and that sense of place in your books, and 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 uh, where that started, and if you see that continuing.
0: It started with nostalgia because I was living in New York when I started writing these memoirs and I missed home so much but didn't really know how to articulate that and it's it's you know it's a complicated relationship I hate the fog here so I'm I'm like I love San Francisco but I hate the weather except for on those like nice days in September like today where it's beautiful but um so so, just finding ways to illustrate that was really satisfying for me. So I found myself just like looking at old photographs and being like, oh, my mom's house. It's so dorky, but I love drawing it. And just trying to capture the spirit of the place, which I don't know. I It turns out this town is not like any other town. And I took it for granted until I was away from it and then realized how much quirk and how much charm and, and delight it had. So I've really started to enjoy The interstitial illustrations between the chapters in my stories where I just go for broke and it's like, yep, here's Sutro Tower and like the fog rolling over (laughs) the hills and into Noe Valley and stuff. And um, yeah, it just it just like scratched such an itch. And then I moved back and continued and so now it's less about nostalgia and it's more about accuracy like okay I can go to the place oh no they've changed the architecture hey friends does anybody have photographs that they took during that time and so it you know it just it's like going on a little history project and I'm sure you can relate to that as a journalist where you're you're like digging up facts and and looking for old photographs of a place just to kind of give the reader the flavor of what you remember
1: Oh that's my thing. I mean I know. my my favorite <laughs> my favorite stories are the ones that are right in that sweet spot that you can't google them. So it's like remember that time that William Shatner wrote a killer whale at Marine World and it's like that didn't happen and then you google it and there's <laughs> nothing there so it's myth. Right. And there isn't that much myth left in the world but when there's myth and it's in your backyard then you're kind of recreating something almost like it's new again. I don't know how to describe it, but.
0: Yeah, there's, I couldn't describe it with words, but I could probably illustrate it somehow and people would just be able to feel it. So, so when I illustrate the barrier, I'm trying to capture a feeling, a mood, a smell, a light source, you know, all the, all the different really intangible things. But, you know, I can look at a painting from the 1700s and I can feel those things in a single image. So why can't we do the same thing through art now? And I like the idea that illustrating San Francisco in 1989 and talking about an earthquake and now, you know, 20 years later, kids are reading about it and they're like, what is this earthquake? And I'll have, I get, I get these cool um, letters and, and stories from like parents and children where the kids are the age that I was in the book, which in Smile is like 11 and 12. And their parents are my age just because of the way the timing has worked out. So their parents are all about the same age as me. So like suddenly the kid is like, hey, mom, is this, do you remember this? And the mom's like, oh, my gosh, let me tell you a story. And then the kid's mind is blown because they're like, you are the same age as Raina when this happened. And Raina's your age now. Like kids, kids don't believe that I'm a grown up. So when I, when I like walk onto the stage, they're like, what, how old are you? Oh, my gosh, you're my mom's age. And it just, it just cracks me up. But I like that it opens up that conversation. I like that kids yeah. and parents are able to, you know, put themselves in each other's shoes and talk about an experience and it it just it just sort of comes alive for them. So yeah, uh, call it nostalgia, call it um <laughs> whatever you want to. I don't I don't want it to be like sappy nostalgia. I just want it to be like, you know, it's cool. Here's the deodorant brands that we used in nineteen eighty nine. And like for my for my parents and adult readers who are who are enjoying the books alongside their kids, they're like, yep, I remember how that smelled. Yeah. <laughs> Teen spirit. So, <laughs> yeah, well, it's, I, it's been fun.
1: Yeah, no. That's what I, that's
0: I, where I wanted to go with all this, Peter, was I'm going to talk about deodorant based on your question. <laughs> yeah. So brought it, brought it where I wanted to bring it.
1: Well, the Chronicle Archive is open to you if you ever need it. All we right. have an intact archive. It's a magical place. It's it's amazing what's in there. It's like frozen in time. We had these librarians and photographers, and they were like a religious order. I mean, they just, <laughs> it's all there, you know. Thank you so much for coming on. I went way over the amount of time that I said I was going to. Um, I just, I think your books, it reminds me of Judy Bloom. And when I was a kid, I had my parents. I had my friends but I also had Judy Bloom kind of speaking truth and getting me through some things that I don't know what to say, except it made me feel okay. Yeah. And I I realized, I mean, I don't know if it's going to make it in the podcast, but my son just got orthodonture and came up to the microphone and is talking about how, you know, he related to your book. And it made his experience easier in a way that I couldn't have helped him. and. I don't, I didn't want to say all this in the beginning and make the whole thing awkward, but I I hope, (laughs) I hope you realize, you know, that's just helping so many kids and it's such a good thing. Um, and, uh, certainly something that's been special to our family. And I really appreciate you coming on. I think you do incredible work.
0: Thanks. I, it it makes me happy for sure. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So, um, hope you'll come on again and, uh, good luck with whatever you've got coming up next. And uh, thanks a lot for coming on Total SF.
0: Yeah, thanks, Peter.
1: You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to my guest, Raina Telgemeyer. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by treating yourself to a digital Chronicle edition at sfchronicle.com pod.